Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, joined by John Fiorillo, Executive Editor. It's been another busy week in seafood news, and we've got time to talk about a couple of stories uh, on today's podcast. And um, we're going to start with a piece that John did, actually. Um, I know we're all trying to forget it. We're all really don't want to even think about the C word, uh, COVID. It's been almost three years since it took over all of our lives. Every single person and company was impacted in one way or another. And I think we're all trying to get beyond it. We're all looking forward to returning to the office, returning to travel, uh, and just in general seeing uh, our lives kind of uh, resume a bit. That said, it's changed the world forever and in many, many, many ways. And, um, and, and certainly um, we're now beginning to see just how much it changed um, the seafood industry and, and companies uh, in the sector that were there right in the middle of it. So, John, um, tell us about the story that you uh, wrote this week uh, about Randy Rhodes. Yeah, so for those who don't know Randy, he's been in this industry for, well, I guess 39, 40 years, something like that, he told me. Um, Last 15, he's been the CEO at Harvest Select, which is a U.S. catfish processor in Alabama. Um, One of the bigger players in uh, catfish farming in the country. And uh, he and I were talking and I started to hear from him some of the struggles he's been under for the last few years related largely to COVID. And I thought it was a really interesting story because I know there are more stories out there among seafood executives and seafood companies that probably people aren't aware of the the dire situation a lot of companies face, the extraordinary challenges and um, the the extraordinary ability to meet these challenges, keep the companies moving and in business. Um, so, you know, I, if anybody has their own story, certainly ring me up. I'd love to talk to you about it. But in Randy's case, it, it boiled down largely to an inability to keep people in the plant and attract any people to the plant. Um, uh, Harvest Select is in, I think Randy said, the third poorest county in the state of Alabama. So um, the the labor force, it, there's it's only 200,000 people, I think he told me. So there's not a big labor force to choose from. So um, right away, you've got you've got problems. And um, so, you know, people were leaving, people weren't coming back. He was trying to uh, make things as safe as possible for people. And that proved very difficult. Um, So in the end, he there was a day in March of uh, 2021 where he was prepared to call the ownership of his company and tell them uh, uh, we're shutting down. 
I we can't keep the plant running. We have virtually no inventory to sell. We've streamed back. We've cut back our customer base, uh, which stretched from California to to Florida. So it's basically nationwide. We've cut it back, and um, yeah. So uh, there's no choice. So he was getting ready to make that call. But just before he did, he made one other call to an acquaintance of his, and the person didn't even know what they were, the idea that they were dropping on him. But they gave him this idea of reopening a shuttered plant that they have uh, in Mobile, Alabama, which a much bigger city, I'm sorry, not Mobile, uh, (laughs) Birmingham, uh, much bigger city, 500,000 people versus the, I said 200,000 for um, where they are currently, uh, but it's only 2,000. So so he's looking at Gene Pool, 500,000 versus 2,000. Um, could they get the plant open quickly and start you know, processing there? Certainly it was a challenge, but they had it open within a month. And uh, the rest of the story turns out to be a good story, and they're still in business. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure he's breathing a sigh of relief, as are many of his uh, employees. Yeah, it was a great story. I think uh, it's not a unique issue, is it, that there is a challenge getting workers for the seafood industry? And I think as the as the conversation shifted during COVID uh, and uh, during the Ukraine, uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, which is now exactly one year ago, um, there was discussion of reshoring, uh, meaning bringing processing work back to the uh, countries where the uh, fish is caught. Um, and moving them away from China, where the majority of a lot of the the fish that is um, that that uh, Westerners anyway find in their plate is processed. Now the challenge has been just what uh, what Randy was discussing in your piece, John, which is where are you going to find the workers? So without intense automation, which will come eventually. But without that, you're still going to need workers. You're still going to need people to get on the processing line uh, to to um, to cut those fish, to stand in a, in a cold facility and be wet and smelling. And it is not a job that a lot of people want to have um, for obvious reasons. It's not an easy job. It's a lot of labor, and it's not something a lot of people end up making careers out of. And that's why so many of the labor laborers that you see, whether it's Alaska or in the UK or in Norway or wherever you might go, are coming from other countries. That being said, that it's still a problem. It's still a challenge right now to get workers. And it can be for a number of reasons. It can be for visas. In the US, it's been difficult to get the visas uh, for workers to come uh, in and process fish. Um, Canada's had some similar issues. Um, In the UK, you have Brexit, which has caused all kinds of problems with uh, the workers who many of them uh, in the hub of Grimsby come from Eastern Europe in the European Union. 
Um, and, you know, there, there's all kinds of other problems. And, and one that was interesting today, our colleague Matthew Wilcox wrote a story about this today. Um, and it's something we'll cover more because it's getting kind of dire. Is that in Scotland, in the UK, where, where, uh, where the UK salmon farming industry is situated, these are very remote rural communities. And they're experiencing the same inflation everybody else is around the world, but it's quite different when uh, there's inflation in, say, a bigger city versus these rural communities where you also are dealing with high costs of fuel and food. Um, and it's really beginning to hurt some of these, uh, these uh, coastal operations because they want to maintain their farms and operations there. They can't get the workers to do it uh, because the workers don't have any place to live. It's too expensive, etc. Um, so it's really an interesting time for labor, um, not only inflation uh, and not only turnover, um, but just in general, there's a lot of factors now that are making it more and more difficult, I think, for uh, the seafood industry to get the labor it needs. Well, yeah, and in the story that you mentioned, I want everybody to wrap their head around this a little bit. The home prices in this rural coastal um, area where we're talking about in, Scot <clears throat> in Scotland rose by as much as 168%. <laughs> so think, think about what that does to a home price. Um, but, you know, and it, it, it is it, it is very stark uh in the sense of randy's case where he actually um you know they brought in foreign workers of course but he actually uh got workers through uh prison work release programs and those are extremely helpful i mean these are you know these are inmates uh, for lack of a better word who are on work release it means they can work a job they have to be paid the same as um any other person working that job and then they go back to the prison um when at night or whenever they're done or whatever so i mean that's pretty that's pretty dramatic and but it's it's not just at the plant level that's the funny thing because i talked to a, a major processor uh of alaska seafood back a little while ago and he was saying that this problem is throughout the the company in the sense that, you know, um, salespeople, for example, are in great demand. So they're they're almost it's almost an auction for good sales people. So they they stay for a little while, then they you know they get tapped for a little bit more pay, and then they flee. And there's also it also goes up to the tech uh part of the business where we'll take land base for example very hard to find labor with this technology background and this skill set so i think your point's a good one i think it doesn't get talked about a lot but i think the labor situation in seafood is is um, you know, the, there's some very big challenges with it uh, throughout the the company from, you know, as I just said, from the the very plant level, uh, workers in the plant to, you know, the executive level to a large degree. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think that the, the solution or 
maybe the solution is the wrong word, the, the inevitability, uh, the inevitable is uh, automation and digitalization and uh, AI. Um, I'm sure you've been reading all over about chatbot and about <laughs> Microsoft's, uh, you know, um, new AI system for um, that that's almost sentient, or at least it kind of thinks it is. I don't know. Anyway, we're at the beginning, and I think you know we're we're wringing our hands about what all this means, and it's all gonna be fine. Uh, I don't think the robots are gonna take over, uh, in terms of enslaving humanity, but they will be taking over jobs. <laughs> And um, and I think we really saw that uh, as part of the um, as part of, of COVID. Um, you know, you're absolutely right, John. It went up and down the chain, and people realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, we've been sending the Boston Seafood Show, the Barcelona Seafood Show, trade show, trade show, trade show, trade show. There's there's been tons and tons and tons and tons. And they're important, you know. It's important to meet with people face to face. It's it's an important part of of doing any job, whether it's journalism or uh, selling cod, right? But I think what many companies realized was, okay, we've got all of these saleswomen and men on the floor uh, running around for four days. Um, talking to, we think, clients that need to be spoken to in person. The ROI was quite unclear, I think, when people didn't go to the shows and they kind of looked around and thought, hmm, this new uh, CRM system we just put in place is actually doing a better job than, you know, um, whatever, Joe Smith or whatever. Um, so a lot of a lot of that has been uh, occurring and will continue to occur, but like so many things, the seafood industry tends to lag a bit behind on some of these things. I think less so in areas like aquaculture, for example, salmon aquaculture, where there's been a lot of embrace of technology um, to streamline operations, and certainly with logistics and uh, inventory management, I think there's been a lot of investments uh, there. But I do think that this is going to be a really interesting era, um, and I think there's going to be companies that will, um, like Harvest Select, maybe make that jump or not able to make that jump. And it's all going to depend, I think, on how prepared people are to make investments in technology. It's not cheap to put in place all these systems. Um, you do have to do retraining. And um, yeah, you can just sort of see these changes. Um, like you said, John, there's been so much turnover in um, sales and marketing. You know, people that uh, you've seen around for years and years and years in uh, in sales and have um, have have done great work at their companies. They've become kind of free agents, and so maybe some of that is poaching. But I would guess a good lot of it is somebody being told, you know what, um, we're actually going to be able to do uh, your job and another job with this one person, so we don't need this position anymore. I'm thinking of movie. You know, when they put out their earnings, I mean, they made uh, a billion euros in operating profit, I think, um, something around there. 
they did okay last year. We'll put it that way. Yeah, um, I think so. But what was interesting, what was very, very interesting, is our colleague Anders Faruset, he wrote, uh, he was at the earnings uh, presentation, uh, or listened in on the earnings presentation. And here was what really stuck out to me was, okay, you had these massive earnings, and yet uh, the CEO, Ivan Vinheim, said, they are going to drop another 435 positions this year. They have dropped 1,346 positions since 2019. So we're talking about by the end of this year, if this all bears out, you're looking at almost 2,000 less jobs at Movie since 2019. The world's largest salmon farming company, a company that has grown and grown and grown and grown. So one would think, oh yeah, you need more staff, you need to build up, you know, you have to get more salespeople and get more people on the farms, get more people for logistics, for all da da da, all the things that you need to run a company of that size. Not so. And here's the interesting thing. Um, now, whether or not this is true, I mean, you have to tell your shareholders the truth, but I. I guess I just find this unbelievable that this is the case, but these are not coming from layoffs. And Vinheim said, this is not about, these are not layoffs. These 400 jobs that we're going to, uh, that we're going to lose. Now, I mean, somebody's losing something, right? But um, they're actually a part of running the company with fewer people more efficiently. You know, and again, you would think, wow, okay, this is a company that is making a lot of money. You know, more more money than any other company in seafood, um, by far. But they're saying, you know, we actually don't need as many people to do this as we thought. Let's run a really, really skinny operation, see if we can do this with 2,000 fewer people. And you know what? I mean, the proof is in the earnings, I guess, you know, 1 billion euros. So obviously salmon prices and the market is driving, <laughs> driving that. But at the same time, you think on the cost perspective, on the cost side, that still has an enormous, uh, enormous uh, impact. Your number one cost is always going to be uh, human capital, um, you know, and aquaculture feed and human capital are the two biggest costs. So it's very interesting to see how all these shifts are, are taking place in, in the industry. Well, and I think, you know, to have an honest discussion about this, we have to talk about what I, I'll just term now because I can't think of anything better, the COVID worker. And by that, I mean, um, you know, when COVID hit, offices closed or temporary shut down and people started working from home. Uh, some people, a lot of people decided they didn't want to work at all. And um, I don't understand that. I talked to a lot of CEOs who are just as perplexed as anybody else about how the people could drop completely out of the workforce and... Um, Certainly, we know there was government assistance and all that, but a lot of that now has gone away. So will these people be back looking for work? Um, will they expect not to go back to an office? Will they? Uh, you know, it's just really interesting to me what the modern worker 
um, <laughs> how they how they see their role these days in in offices. And I'm not just talking seafood. I you know I've got friends in many industries, and uh, you know I'm trying not to be a jerk about this, but. I, I don't understand the level of expectation that people come into uh, companies with these days. And um, I don't know. I just think the – I don't know what I'm trying to say exactly. What I'm, what I'm trying to say – I'm just is, giving you enough rope to just hang know, yourself, John. I'm just sitting here listening you so know, that I can jump in with a joke I, about how you're getting old. That's, that's what I well, mean. Well, no, no, because I bet – CEOs who listen to this will will know exactly what I'm trying to say, but um, I'm not doing a good job of it. But I just think the worker has changed. I'll just put it that way. I, I think the classic old work ethic, you pay your dues, you work your way up. I think that has been dismantled and rebuilt in a an entirely different outlook. Um and um yeah and i blame a lot of it on covid um i i think covid taught us um yeah i taught us things that probably aren't beneficial long term as far as what a worker needs to do so (laughs) before before i uh say any more i guess just go ahead smack me around i'm ready for you (laughs) no i actually won't um, I, I guess the I think it I think it accelerated trends that were already happening um, with as, as a new generation entered the workforce, uh, and as you said, I think the expectations, the the demands uh, from an employer are vastly different than boomers and even Gen X. Um, you know, it it now is the power differential the power balance has shifted a bit but i think that there was there was expectation that was going to be that it should have been shifting more so i think covid sort of did help accelerate that a bit by people being able to point out hey i got my job done being uh, working at home and having this hybrid situation eh, you know i it it that disrupts um uh, th- that disrupts a structure, a management structure that's been in place for decades, you know. Um, and I think that um, I think that the, whether you like it or not, I think that has changed permanently. And so I think the the way that the sort of the IBM uh, the IBM style of, you know, showing up with your briefcase and um, was it the, the men in gray suits or whatever the, the phrase is about that um, coming in, working, uh, getting your gold watch that is gone. And I think now we're in this area where, what does that mean? What do workers expect? Um, is it just going to be paying more wage inflation is it going to be more benefits, hybrid? I mean, it's so fascinating because on the one hand, you're seeing companies say, you know what, we want uh, butts and seats three days a week, full stop. A lot of big companies are doing that right now. 
when the big companies do it, uh, all the little ones tend to follow and say, well, this is the way it should be. Um, and then on the other side of that, you're also having this um, this movement toward, again, toward hybrid. There is a lot of discussion about four-day work weeks. Um, and, and that seems crazy, I think, to to many of us that are of a certain age. Um, but then again, we didn't used to have weekends, you know? And so, so yeah. at some point somebody said, what only working five days a week, um, or only working six, except on Sundays or whatever it might've been. But I think that, you know, my point is that there, there, it, it, it's going to, it's going to change no matter what. So the question is not, is it changing, right? It's changing. The question now is, is it going to change back? I think not. And so now employers have to be looking and thinking, okay, so what do we then do in this new, in this new world? Well, and I, I totally agree with that. I think it, it's been a permanent shift. I mean, full disclosure, I, <laughs> I worked in an office until COVID, you know, I worked in our Seattle office, we closed it. Um, and we've we're not going to reopen it. I work from home now, so 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 do you. So do most of our staff. Uh, some of the London staff. Uh, you know, it's a hybrid situation. But um, yeah, I, I I do don't think it's going back um, by any means. But I will say it's become it's it has been, and now will continue to be a bigger and bigger challenge in, in seafood for sure. Cause seafood doesn't, it's not a five, nine to five job. We all know that when you're, when you're moving fish, importing it, processing it, I mean, the hours are insane. Fishermen in Bristol Bay, for example, will it's not a great example, but they'll fish for three days without sleep. I mean, it, seafood is different. And, um, it, I think it presents even larger challenges to the CEOs at these companies uh, from a staffing perspective, um, from a retention perspective to be able to retain the, the, the workers. And so, you know, it's a long way of saying Randy's challenges are not unique. He knew that or he knows that. I, certainly, we all know that, um, and I'm sure CEOs and companies throughout this industry have similar stories. I'd love to hear them. Give me a shout. Um, but yeah, we're just uh, we're in this post-COVID era of labor, which um, you know we're trying to figure out what what it's going to look like. Well, hey, let's wrap it up there. Uh, remember that you can find our news 24-7 on intrafish.com. And don't forget, we have the Boston Seafood Show coming up prior to that, actually. We have the North Atlantic Seafood uh, Forum in Bergen. And myself and members of the Intrafish team will be there. So uh, drop us a line uh, or uh, track us down. We'd love to hear story ideas, tips, uh, etc., uh, and in Boston, uh, you can join us on March 13th at our Seafood Leadership Breakfast. We're going to have a great lineup of speakers. We have American Seafoods. We have Red Lobster. We have Seafood Exchange. 
uh, Silver Bay Seafoods, DNB. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic lineup. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. It's always uh, some of the best networking around. And uh, again, great speakers and, and great panel discussions. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll talk to you next time.